Hey, Oriole fans, welcome to this week's edition of Yard Work alongside Steve Molesky. I am Brian Eller. Steve, how's it going, man? It's going good, Brian. How you be? Uh, doing all right. How was Kansas City? You know, it's a great ballpark. I love going there. I wish the Orioles played better when I went there, but um, it's a great city, and I think it's one of the underrated ballparks in, in the major leagues. Um, you know, it's just a, really a, a fun place to go, so... Unfortunately, didn't get to see any Oriole wins there, though. Yeah, it was close. They were in it for every game, and that, that's one, one ballpark that's definitely on my list. Uh, they've got great fans, especially now that they've kind of uh, been having some success lately. So um, so let's just take a look back at, at the week uh, the Orioles have had. As you said, kind of a, a not-so-great week for them. Um, still, as they sit, they're 22-4 and four team, half game behind the Yankees uh, in the American League East. Uh, they've lost four straight games, all one-run games, which... Uh, as odd because the Orioles have been so good when one run games up until this point so it's I guess that's just maybe things evening out as they as they tend to do but uh, still six Berger six and four over their last 10 um, 15 eight in April seven and six in May um, I guess just overall Steve uh, the weekend in Kansas City and uh, the, during this little slide here um, what did you notice about the team it seems like they were always in position to to come away with the win they just fell for short for another reason whether it was the offense struggling or uh, maybe the bullpen kind of uh, struggling there a bit yeah, there wasn't one reason to point to it. I mean, that's what Caleb said after the game uh, Sunday, and he was right. You know, the first two games of Kansas City, they didn't hit very much. Uh, and Sunday they did, and then Kevin Gosman couldn't protect the lead and had a poor outing. And, you know, there were a couple games in there where the bullpen uh, had some issues. So I think as they start this Detroit series, you know, we're taping this before this starts, that um, <clears throat> they're back on their feet in the bullpen. They gave Brock and O'Day a whole pile of days off. They're overrested, but they needed it. They needed to freshen up, and and they're a little back on their feet there, and they just need some starters to get deeper here. The rotation was going pretty well, um, and Tillman kind of second one wasn't as good as the first, and Gosman, that just was really poor on uh, Sunday. It's interesting about the starting rotation in, in particular because if you look at some of the the uh just the scoreboard you know if you look at the runs it's not like these guys are giving up six and seven and eight earned runs but they're they're having trouble really kind of putting hitters away and and those pitch counts are elevating so high and the bullpen just ends up having to pitch uh you know you know three and four innings a night which as you said can get really drained especially when the orioles are trying to kind of keep a, a deeper bench you know when they're trying when they want to keep that as an asset uh, for the lineup, that means sometimes maybe not having an extra arm in the bullpen uh, that's fresh, and you can run into situations like we did, uh, you know, earlier last week. Um, actually, starting back, the losing streak started on on Wednesday, the series finale against Washington, which uh, Wade Miley got a you got a solid outing from him. He kind of ran his pitch count high over five innings. I think he threw almost 120 pitches. But once again, his his bend don't break mantra from 2017 sticking in there. He only gave up two earned runs, and he put the team in position to win, which is really all you can ask from your your starter. But uh, Brad Brock kind of ran into trouble there, and I think he only lasted about a third inning there with the the walk off for the Nats. And um, of course, it was a game where you you kind of miss Zach Britton. I think everybody does, but. Um, did you kind of get the sense that it was just really kind of wearing down on, on those on those bullpen arms there? Um, that particular night, I mean, uh, Brad Brock was pitching, I believe, for the fifth time in seven days, and we're we saw the effects. I think we've learned that you can push Brad pretty hard, but at some point you got to step off the gas pedal. And I think Buck Showalter, look at how much he he hasn't pitched since that game. 
Uh, he might have pitched Sunday uh, in uh, Kansas City, but I think he wanted to give him three nights off. So he gave him Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday too as it worked out. And now Monday, off day, as we tape this. So, I mean, he's really, he's really freshened up. But I think five out of seven, that's, that's asking a lot. And there's some guys who maybe could do it, and it's tougher for Brad. He, I mean, he's, he's a hard-throwing guy. Um, you know, he goes at it pretty hard out there. And maybe that caught up to him in Washington. But, um, you know, the Orioles lost a late four-run lead there. Yeah, we kind of put a damper on an otherwise very good series for the Orioles. You know, well, I, you know, they had the fact that they played two and two. I guess it's two different series, which is is so annoying. But if you look at the, that four game stretch there, they certainly seem to have the the Nationals number there. So that was kind of a a damper on that. But um, Friday in the the series opener against Kansas City, we saw just more of the same from Dylan Bundy. Uh, I mean, six innings, two earned, eight Ks. Um, that game, I know the Orioles only put up a few runs, but it, the offense actually they weren't as uh, you know they didn't struggle as much as they did Saturday. It seems they they out hit the Royals nine to seven. Uh, they were two for six with runners in scoring position. They did leave seven guys on base, but um, that was the one game where I kind of felt like, hey, that was just two good teams, and you chalk that up to Kansas City, uh, you know, eking out a win there uh, versus the Orioles kind of um, you know dropping that one. I would say from on Friday. I mean, Kansas City, um, the Orioles caught them at a time when they were on the upswing, and, and I think we're going to see them play well for a little couple weeks now here. Um, you know, they had just taken a series from Tampa. They seem to really get geared up for the Orioles. I don't know if this is a carryover from 2014 or they see a rivalry here now. I don't, it, I don't think the Orioles see it quite the same, but the Royals, they're, they're just ready to play when the Orioles get to town. And I've been – the last two years there and was to the ALCS there and man they're just they're ready to go so they're playing well and they, some of those guys were really uh, swinging a hot bat Hosmer in particular um, Salvador Perez swinging pretty well and I think they're going to be heard from in, in their uh, division I think so too they're they're I know their offense was kind of struggling to start the year, but they're a very patient team, and we we'll, we definitely saw that Sunday um, against Kevin Gosman, which we'll we'll get to in just a minute. Um, I think Saturday was kind of the maybe the one game to write off if you're the Orioles. You, you saw Chris Tillman, you know, kind of struggle again. He only allowed three earned runs, but um, only lasted four and a third, and kind of. Uh, ran into some some high counts and some some bend don't break situations there and and then offensively I think the Orioles struck out something like like 15 times in that game which um, if you can remember I think it was last year um, the series in Houston where the Orioles just struck out something something astronomical over that series and it kind of put them into a dip uh, you know over the next week or two so that kind of shades of that Houston series was coming into mind but boy we know this team at least offensively they have a lot of power but a lot of times the the give and take from that is they're going to strike out um, I know the Orioles have been trying to cut down on that but well I mean I think Saturday night Brian was all about Nate Carnes um, and he struck out 12 in five innings and he had that breaking ball going, curve, knuckle curve, whatever you want to call it. And he, they definitely chased. They just didn't see his breaking ball well at all. And he was getting uh, an enormous number of swings and misses on that pitch that night. And so um, I don't think it's going to put him in a tailspin. I think that was one pitcher who had one pitch they, they couldn't handle. I think they knew it was coming, and they couldn't get to it. So it shows you how good that pitch was for him that night. Ironically, all the strikeouts 
elevated his pitch count a little bit to the point where he took him out after five, but he was on his game for most of the Right. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the opposing pitcher there, and certainly that was the case. So, um, And then Sunday, the series finale, again, we saw – um, Gosman just just run into trouble again. He's kind of having a, a very discouraging uh, 2017 season so far. Um, this was a little odd because he was coming off of his his best start, where he pitched uh, seven innings and um, eight strikeouts against the Nats back on May 8th. But uh, this one here, just just three and a third and, and allowed five earned runs, especially after having that that five nothing lead thanks to the Oriole offense, which did break out. Um, I was reading a lot of what you. Had talked about you know in the post game clubhouse and and with the the morning entries on, on the website and um, I know Buck was talking about Gosman just just putting pitchers away or, you know putting hitters away there and that was his struggle and um, you know watching the game yesterday was a perfect example I think it was um, Lorenzo Cain was up in the first inning and he, he had an O two count against him and he tried to throw a fastball and kind of right in the zone there and Cain just smacked it in the center field and that um, you know there's there's you definitely want to be aggressive you know but uh, uh, that was kind of discouraging. It kind of summed up Gosman's day, where he he was able to get ahead in some counts, but he just he just couldn't put him away, and it ended up um, kind of costing him there. And it goes back to me mostly the one word, that word being command, because his control is okay. He's not walking the ballpark, but he's not command means putting the ball where you want it. Uh, one is control. If you have good control, means you usually don't walk a lot of guys. You're you throw a lot of strikes. Command means you throw quality strikes. Um, you put the ball in the corner when you want. You elevate it when you want. Gosman yesterday said and it was interesting. Um, he seemed to indicate the times he wanted to elevate the ball, which Oriole pitchers do a lot. He he didn't command that. In other words, he wanted it six inches higher than it went. And same with his split. He wanted his split not to drop so out of the zone that they laid off it. So in other words, his split was going too far down, and when he elevated the ball, he wasn't getting it high enough up. So he kind of had ends. It wasn't so much left and right on the strike zone. It was up and down some of his issues, specifically yesterday. But for most of this year, he just can't get it locked in, and he's going to have to because they're not giving up on Gosman. He's going to get the ball, and... I think he can turn it around, and I thought he did in Washington, or the, a game against Washington, but he couldn't follow it up. Now, something like that, where you, you're, you know, your pitchers aren't really going where where you want them to, um, is that something you that can be different when you're having your bullpen session and you're warming up and you feel like you're you're on, and then you get out in the mound and it's it's live game situation and, and things are a little bit different. I, I think absolutely uh, that can be different because first of all, um, and the players will tell you the mounds are not identical. Uh, and even from ballpark to ballpark. The specifications are supposed to be, but sometimes there's a different feel. And you know what, Brian, when you're warming up before the game, there's no people cheering. You don't have game intensity, game speed. So I think there are times pitchers can have one level of stuff and command in the bullpen and another when they get out there to the mound. Um, and we've had pitchers tell us that. And, they, and it can be the other way. They can feel like, boy, I don't really have much today. And they go out there and suddenly the adrenaline kicks in, the crowd gets going, the game gets going, and all of a sudden they find it. And so um, what, they, what, you know, what they're doing warming up sometimes doesn't tell us exactly what's going to happen when 7 o'clock hits. 
Right, and I think another thing to to keep in mind too is you know it all depends on the makeup of the of the guy throwing the ball. If he feels like something isn't working, you know, is it something that you try to push through and, and get it to work right for a few innings, or is it something that 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 point in your in your outing there where you kind of make the decision to either all right go to something else in your arsenal, or you know what I just need to make this adjustment and it's going to be right, and that can be a fine line. And obviously we 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 don't know what those pitchers are thinking at that time, and everybody's different, but that that can certainly play a factor into. Uh, you know, because that that can turn into a quick a quick, you know, spiral down or upwards. You know, depending on if they're able to fix that. Well, there's a lot of theories about Gosman now, and I think a fan's theory that I get a lot on the blog is he's 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 mentally fragile. And here's why I don't buy that because I look at his 2016 season. He started out with no run support. How long, Brian, did he go before he got any run support at all, almost all year? And the other thing that happened during the 2016 season was he wasn't getting any road wins. And every time we'd interview him, it'd be like, well, Kevin, it's been 20 starts since your last, Kevin, it's been 21 starts since your last, well, Kevin, it's been 22 starts. So, I mean, he heard that all, all year until he got off the schneid with that, so to speak. And I just think those two things made it to the guy ended the year pitching really well, and he was 9-12, and 12, uh, which is mostly a function of run support. And I think if he is mentally fragile, he doesn't finish with a 3-5, three, 3-6 three, ERA, and it starts to get to him, because it can. I mean, how, how could it not? Uh, it's a team game, but if every time you pitch, you hardly have any runs, eventually you're going to be like, come on already. So I, I'm going to need to see more to tell me that Kevin Gosman has, you know, he's, he needs to be tougher, people say. And just because they don't see it outwardly doesn't mean it's not there. I, I always go back to Nick Markakis, the most laid-back, quiet, mild-mannered guy in an interview. When the game was started, if you couldn't tell, he had intensity. I mean, the guy would be running into walls. So sometimes we can't tell what's going inside their heads or what they're thinking by the nature of a mild-mannered person in an interview or something. And so fans always like to see emotion, Brian, and through his bat. See, he's mad like I'm mad, but okay. Um, sometimes you don't see the emotion or the, or the fire. It's burning within. And But Gosman right now, I don't know what he's going to draw on, whether it's uh, bullpen sessions or look at videotape or uh, just uh, get away from it for a couple of days, but he's got to do something to turn this trend around and get back to pitching like we saw for most of the second half. Right, and I know we've talked in other episodes where it's it's at least encouraging to know what what the issue might be. You know, it's I think the most frustrating situation for for any player, pitcher or hitter, is when they're struggling and they just they're just not sure why, or you know, the the whole uh, just not putting it all together. But if it's an issue with um, you know command, uh, that's something eh, easier said than done to fix it. But at least you can maybe kind of zero in on it and and um, and and hopefully get get that corrected. So um, so we'll see if if Gosman can do that. And again. On the whole, the starting rotation I think is still these guys are still young. They're still going to go through growing pains, and and that's what we're experiencing. But I, I would still say they're they're performing um, better overall than than I think a lot of people thought coming into the season. So that's great. Well, here's some stats that might surprise people. Here's the ranking, best to worst of American League starting rotation ERAs right now. Tampa Bay is best in the league and in the division. At 338, this is starting rotation ERA only. The next highest American League East team is Toronto. Last place, 410 rotation ERA. Third is Baltimore, 
422. Fourth is Boston, 442. And last is the team that's in first, the New York Yankees, at 460. So it's kind of upside down right now, the, the standings and the rotation ERAs. And so the Orioles are right in there with these other teams. The, one, the only one that's uh, way ahead of the pack is Tampa, which probably doesn't surprise us. We knew their, their pitching was pretty good. Uh, but the Yankees are 14th in rotation ERA in the American League East right now, or in the American League right now. Right, and that's they just well. If we if you remember that series back in New York uh, a couple weeks ago, they they can hit the cover off the ball. But you're right. I, I think I think stats like that, that tend to even out because um, as we've seen, you, you can only go so far with with pitching that's that's uh, that's not not good or, or great. You know, you need you need that solid uh, pitching, especially from your starter. So yeah, I mean, I think I I feel like again we talk about fans. Part of the fan is being a fanatic, so you can tend to overreact for things, but. Um, this starting rotation is is doing just fine, and and they'll uh, they've got a lot of room to grow, so that's good. And I think they they'd want it that way. But um, let's let's turn to the offense, which um, again it was kind of very night and day. At least you know I was ready to come on today and talk about really the the continued struggles of the offense over the weekend. But then yesterday they go out and really uh, have an, a nice day, uh, at least at the plate and. Um, Chris Davis especially is in the midst of uh, I think he has a four game hitting streak which hey is is modest but um, he, he he felt like he had a good weekend series his on base percentage is climbing which we know the knock against him has always been a uh, very high number of strikeouts so that was that was good to see and I, I think um, when you were talking to him on Sunday after the game he he had mentioned that his at bats were he was feeling calmer um, at his at bats and and is is that something you can kind of notice uh, when you, when you're watching him at the plate I mean it's certainly got to be encouraging for for Oriole fans. I I think if you really see him as much as we do, you can notice a little bit sometimes that he seems calmer, to use his word. But um, I like to see him driving the ball to the off-field. That, that's meaningful to me. And just hitting the ball hard. I mean, even when he hits in the hard ground outs, he's making the, the good contact. And he hits some of those homers like he hit one uh, yesterday, which had, a, according to the stats, 44-degree launch angle, meaning – it was way up in the air. Most homers have a have a have a much lower angle as they, you know, more laser like like Machado or Mancini. This was a high fly ball that finally came down for a home run. But I mean, that's how he can hit them. And so, um, you know, Brian, the middle of this the middle of this order, uh, Manny um, uh, Trumbo Davis has been not performing to the level we expected to see collectively as a threesome. But Davis now, hopefully he's getting it going. Trumbo had an eight-game hitting streak snap. Manny just didn't have some good swings in KC. And i got to believe we're looking at a summer where that's not going to be true of those three. They're going to get it going. Right, and I know Davis had that, that thumb injury last year, and I think a lot of people were, were quick to kind of scoff at, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's just your thumb. But, I mean, boy, for as much as these guys are swinging the bat and um, for him to be at full health, which, you know, he said entering the season that, that he was, I, I think we are kind of seeing the difference. That can that can that might not result in 20 additional home runs, but I think each time he makes contact with the bat, it might go a little – it might be a little bit harder hit and might uh, go to the opposite field, and, and just that that's going to produce more results and, and more runs. And, uh, it would be great to see Chris Davis get back to hitting for higher average. I'm not sure what's the key to that, to hit that 260, 270, 280, and not 215, 225. Because I think the homers will be there. He hits homers in bunches. He's streaky with homers. So we might see him hitting out six in the next ten games 
and then one in the next two weeks. I mean, it, that's he does that. This would not be a first. So maybe the two homers in Kansas City, tough ballpark to get homers, is is a sign that he's got a few more coming. I tell you, who has been hitting for averages the uh, Oriole catchers, man. I, I was reading that stat he posted on. They, I think entering Sunday, they they lead the major leagues with a three eighteen average, and that's that's credit for for all those guys. You know, Wellington Castillo, who's again, we'll, we'll talk about in just a minute, but Francisco Pena really stepping in and and uh, coming up to form, and Caleb Joseph, who as we just talked about a few episodes ago, where he finally broke that RBI streak, and now he seems to get seems to get at least an RBI every series, which which is which is great to see, and and I think. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of fans really look at the catchers in terms of a huge offensive source uh, when you look through this lineup, especially compared to the other spots. But, um, boy, getting getting collective hitting from these guys, no matter who you stick in there, in addition to their defensive strengths and calling these games for these pitchers, but I think that's really encouraging. It's something that I'm, I'm hoping will we'll continue for the rest of the year. Well, I mean, the, the downside for Caleb is, after all this talk about his offense, he's finally really got it going just in time for Wellington to come back and take starts away from him, which is probably what's going to happen, and it would be tough for him. But Wellington did a good job before he got hurt. So, I mean, we know he's going to play a lot on this team. If he's healthy and they activate him, he'll be out there a lot. But hopefully that bodes well for Caleb down the road. I mean, Caleb is a guy uh, – it's interesting, Mancini – now maybe Trey is – Speaking a little bit of the company line when he told me recently, it's no big deal not starting every night. He was used got used to it in college where you might play three or four games a week and not every day like you do in pro ball. Caleb's the other, other spectrum. He's told me the benefits. When he's in there every day, he said it has benefits on offense and defense. And he mentioned uh, game calling. If you catch one game a series, Sometimes it might take a couple innings to get the feel of the other hitters, how they're swinging. And if you catch three out of three, you get in that groove with that other lineup uh, calling a game, and he thinks that that's helpful. And it's certainly he thinks it's helpful to him offensively to get the regular bats. And he knows that on this team right now, they're probably not forthcoming for him. But, you know, maybe Buckle used the two a little differently in the short term here, Brian, with Caleb swinging so well right now. Right. I think especially, I mean, I think Castillo uh, pitched or caught at Bowie um, Sunday night, and, and I think he caught seven innings and had a decent night to play. So he, he does seem like he's ready and will probably be activated uh, uh, for Tuesday's series opener in Detroit. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think in addition, even if Caleb wasn't hitting as well as he has um, – it's, you know, you you wanna you don't wanna throw Castillo right back in and make him the the everyday catcher. What, what with Caleb doing so well, and you never know um, how that transition is gonna go. So that that is frustrating, but I, I do feel like Caleb is the kind of guy that yeah he he says um, yeah I want to be in there every day because you want to hear that from your players. But um, uh, I wonder if he'd be the type of guy, and and you probably know a little bit better than I do. Um, to, to actually step up and say, hey, you know what, Buck, I, I, I don't want to go down without a fight. You know, I'm hitting well. I'm, I'm catching well. Um, you know, this is this, this is my time, you know. Well, no, I don't think Caleb is not that type to go in there and politic for playing time because he knows you, you, don't earn, you can't get playing time through talking. <laughs> you have to get it through playing. And, I mean, Caleb has had a hot streak, but a hot streak doesn't mean you change the depth chart because the guy had one good week. But, I mean, he's had a really good week, let's be honest, and – and, I mean, he hit that ball 430 in Kansas City. That was a blast. 
and he's just hitting everything hard right now, even some loud outs. So, you know, Buck knows a lot more than us, and he may say, you know what, I, I, you know, I don't think uh, Wellington will come back and be a reserve, but maybe there'll be some small form of a timeshare for a, a week or something. We're just going to see. I mean, it's good that he's swinging better, and I think this hot, what this hot streak did, Brian, is put finally to bed the no RBI and all the questions he's answered for over a year now. Um, we see what this guy can do uh, with his offense. Uh, no one's saying he's a 300 hitter if he got 500 at bats or he did 30 home runs, but he, he, he can contribute at times, and I think he reminded us of that the last week or And we'll keep an eye on that as uh, Castillo likely to come back this week. So, um, Also, there's kind of a log jam out in the Orioles outfield, which we've, we, we knew coming into the season in spring training with all these guys, and we've kind of seen it. Um, I bring it up just because I uh, got to see Hyunsoo Kim in left field on, for Sunday's series finale, and that log jam just kind of stays there. I know Orioles want to keep sort of an extended bench. They have, you know, Kim, Rickard, and Smith, Gentry, Mancini. Um, I, I I guess it's a good problem to have, the fact that all these guys are jockeying for playing time and they're all performing pretty well. You know, they're, they're, they're playing to their strengths. But um, I do feel like it's a problem that, that might come to a head at, at some point. And um, I, I wonder what, what's in store for, for the Orioles in terms of their bench and what Walter and Duquette are going to do. Uh, because you have so many guys that are jockeying for playing time, and, and, and deservedly so. Well, here's the fan solution. You're, if you're not going to play Kim, trade him. But the first premise is wrong. They're not going to play Kim. They are going to play Kim over the course of the season. He's going to get some playing time, and, and it was set up for him to play every day against right-handed pitching, and then two things happened to conspire against Kim's at-bats. One, they faced 15 left-handed starters in like the first 35 games, which is a very high percentage. And two, Trey Mancini did what he did. And the, those two things limited Kim's at-bats. It's not that Buck doesn't like him. The Orioles don't like him. He's anybody's doghouse. None of the above is true. Um, and frankly, if I were making out the lineup and Mancini was driving the ball the way he's been driving it, I'm playing Mancini. I want to win. I want to play the best guy. He's the best guy right now. And so that doesn't mean Kim did anything wrong or is not a, one of the good guys, too. But, you know, uh, Seth Smith, look at what he's doing. Trumbo, he's at 47 home runs. We know what he can do. Um, Mancini, he's looked great for most of the year. And it just does that someone won't get at bats in this equation. And Hunsu Kim's been the guy. So uh, as they begin to see more right-handers, they get out of the American League East, there's heavy laden lefties some things should open up for Kim I think right and it's also now that interleague seems to be all year you know the Orioles are making those trips to National League parks throughout the year and there's there's another roster spot away you know without the DH so it's it's um you're right it's it's hard to get all those guys noticed but but yeah I'm with you Trey Mancini is just uh for all the guys who have have you got to ride the hot bat you know and, and Trey certainly um certainly got that I would play Mancini every day right now um, for a week or two at least. That's what I would do. I mean, Buck, again, is a lot smarter than me. He may have other thoughts, and he'll probably be right, whatever they are. But I, if it were me, I would be playing Mancini every day for for maybe a very uh, – in a in the short term, and I want to see how this looks. Because right now he hasn't do, done anything to hurt him defensively. 
uh, he, he goes aggressively for the ball. He may not look beautiful the other night. He made that catch in deep left in Kansas City, and he's, he's aggressive. He wants to make the play, and that, that's important. He's not tentative out there. He's not running on eggshells thinking, oh, geez, don't hit it to me. Uh, he's going to – if he screws up out there, it'll be an error of omission, not uh, – you know, it'll be an aggressive error. It won't be because he got timid. He should have gone for that ball. He'll go for the ball. So um, it is a good problem to have too many guys, and and you can't get them all at bats right now. Certainly, and we'll see how they uh, juggle with that. But that's one of Buck's strengths is dealing with situations like that. So um, I guess just kind of as we wrap up, Steve, just one final note to pass along, not really Orioles-related, but uh, I know you've written about it. Steve Palermo, former Major League umpire, he passed away Sunday at age 67, far too young. Um, He, uh, for those who don't know, he was famous for – he was shot trying to help uh, some women who were being robbed, I think, in Dallas back in the early 90s. And I think that ended his umpiring career because uh, he suffered paralysis from that. That was kind of kind of just sad to hear, you know, for, for that. I, I, I'm a little too young for to remember him in his umpiring days, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you remember him, Steve. Well, you know, um, he uh, – I didn't realize he lived in Kansas City, uh, sadly, until he passed. And they announced it in the press box, and they announced it, Brian – internally to the media there um and you could hear the sadness is almost the room went down uh, several degrees because a lot of people there really loved steve palermo and they tell me he was a regular visitor to the press box he was just so loved by the royals organization he didn't work for the royals he worked for major league baseball but kansas city was his home later in his life and he was just uh, he would go to watch games there because he's a supervisor of umpires and he'd do a lot of his work there so um, they were they, they they spoke reverentially about him, and so did Buck. Buck, uh, I think Buck's quote, which was very telling, was, you know, when he was a first year manager, Steve Palermo treated him like he'd been doing it 20 years. He just gave him tremendous respect. He helped him. Uh, Palermo would go see Buck every time the Orioles went to Kansas City, which Buck mentioned. I thought something was up because he hadn't come to see me, you know. And uh, apparently he was his health was failing in recent. I think people close to him knew that you know might not be a great result here. And so it's sad for baseball. I mean, a guy. It's clear some of the reactions we've gotten that this was a well loved, well respected guy. And beyond baseball, what you said, the incident where he put his life on the line, he and another man, because two waitresses were getting robbed or mugged or something of that sort. And he intervened, and he got shot, and it put him in a wheelchair for years. And eventually he got out of that chair and was able with some, you know, uh, equipment to walk a little bit and get around. So pretty special man in baseball, and someone I sadly never got to meet, know the name, and don't remember too much of his umpiring, but anybody who uh, saw him umpire says great things about him. So baseball lost a good one. Yeah, and I think that's – one of the toughest jobs in sports is to be a baseball umpire because, boy, they, they're they really only noticed out there when they're when fans feel like they're doing something wrong or they're barking at a, a manager, you know, and that's uh, – but they these guys will remember, you know, they'll, they'll forget more things about baseball than we'll ever know. And it's, I'm just fascinated by by the how much they, they love the game of baseball and how, how, how good they are at their jobs. For all the mistakes that we feel like, you know, the strike zone's – this and that and you know that's that's a fair ball not foul but these umpires are out there every night and they they do an incredible job so that was that was sad to hear oh yeah and you know the guys of palermo's era 
they I'm sure they did okay financially and otherwise, but not like it is now. And, you know, as the game has grown and more money's come in and the umpires union has gotten stronger, umpires probably have a better uh, financial situation they've ever had. And, and I don't begrudge them any of that. Uh, unlike uh, writers and ball players, they don't ever cover or work a home game. You know, they're always going from park to park, coast to coast. They never go, wow, well, at least I know I'll be home for the next week. You know, I can catch up with my family and my bills and my life. They're going, and they get some time off. They have a good, they have it pretty good with the union now, but they also they have a difficult job. You're right, and and no one goes up to them at the end of the game and says, great game. But if they miss a call, everyone's talking about, you know, we know we know who on third. All he has to do is miss a call. Right. But if he doesn't miss a call, we probably don't know who on third that night, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's how it goes. I, somebody asked me, oh, who's your favorite umpire? And, I, you know, I, I know a lot of the umpires' names, but, uh, I, you know, it's it, I don't know as many as I should for as much baseball as I watch. And that's I, I do try to make a point to see, all right, who's umpiring tonight? And, you know, at least at least around the bases and, and at home plate. So. Now, you know, Brian, in this sport now, they, they scout the umpires, too. Uh, they have such a mountain – of information that I guarantee you, Buck and the Orioles and all the teams know which umpire calls the most strikes, which umpire calls more outside corner than in. I mean, they've got all this. And so it's almost too much a hitter can have in his head up there. You're thinking about the pitcher, what's he throw, this umpire might call the outside corner. It's almost too much. But if you want to know which umpire calls the highest percentage of strikes, I guarantee you the teams have that data. All right, so the Orioles are off as we film this today, but they're kicking off their uh, series in Detroit before they come back home. As, as you fans listen to this on Wednesday, they'll be in the midst of that series. So we'll hope for uh, uh, the offense to continue where it left off on Sunday. We'll hope for uh, starting pitching to uh, continue to, to perform as well as it has. So, um, Steve, you have anything else on the radar, man? Nope, that's about it. Um, you know, I'll throw in a quick minor league nugget over the weekend. I asked some people about Tanner Scott, and I heard some really favorable things. The young, hard, flame-throwing lefty at Bowie. His slider's really starting to come around. He's had some really good outings. He's, he's the guy, Brian, that can hit 100, and they're having him start at Bowie and throw three-inning outings. He's not being converted to a starter, but they like how these outings go, and they can get him a bullpen in between and a little more structure to his schedule. And all of this is designed to improve his control and command because he was kind of a, you know, a nuclelouche. You know, he could throw 98, but where where was it going? And so if they could harness this kid a little bit, he doesn't need A-level a control. He just needs to improve it. And uh, Buck uh, was uh, talking about him a little bit this weekend as well. And Buck said he heard good things about the slider too, so... Been hearing some good things about his recent outings. He's not coming to Baltimore anytime soon, I don't think. But I wouldn't rule it out this year. I don't think we'll see him in the next week or two, but maybe this year if he keeps making taking these strides, another bullpen option. All right, Tanner Scott T-shirt day Oriole giveaway, and possibly down down the line. So we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll keep <laughs> That's right. You never know how that works. So. All right, Oriole fans, be sure to uh, visit us at MassInSports.com. Steve Molesky, always keeping you up to date on the latest on Orioles baseball. And be sure to subscribe to the Yardwork podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Um, until next time, we'll see you.